0: to be in John chapter 7 today, and if you need a Bible, we have three Bibles. There's some in the back and there's some underneath the chair in front of you. You certainly have those Bibles. They were donated for that reason. And in John chapter 7 is where we'll be at in just a little bit, but I want to kind of start off with a couple questions for you. First of all, how many of you have tried to get to know someone through social media by looking at their posts? or their friends, or their pictures. Just a show of hands, how many of you tried to do that? So you readily admit you're stalking and creeping on people. Just kidding, okay? I just... But you know, like after a while, it sort of feels like that, doesn't it? It's like, oh my gosh, I know a lot about this person now. You can learn a lot about um, what kind of person they are. There are those that you can tell love food. Because 95% of their posts are about food, right? Recipes, stuff like that. Or you can tell who loves their kids or their grandkids, because that's majority of their posts. And there's some that love their vacations. You always see those vacations that make you sort of jealous of those albums that they put on there of their vacations. Yes, I'm one of them. I do that. But what's hard to tell from posts is what a person truly believes about God. Because sometimes people do post stuff about God. I see stuff on social media about God. Some stuff that really isn't even true about God. I see a lot of people making claims about their God. You know, my God is this and my God is, is that. So it kind of provoked this question, is God different? For you than he is for me. Which is why I gave it the title, Is Your God My God? Is it possible that there are different, that God is different, I guess, for different people? Is your God my God? I want to challenge you this morning with one thing, and that is, Do you know the true, the one true God? Because I don't believe that God can be different for you different from me or different from somebody else who's out cutting their grass right now. (laughs) I think that there's one true God. And I want you to know that because I would hate for someone that belonged to Life of Purpose to someday meet God and he not be someone that you expected. That he be someone totally different than what you expected. I think we can know God. How do you do that? How do you know the one true God? You can know him through his son Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ claiming to be the son of God. If there's anyone who's going to know God, it wouldn't it be his son? He would know the Father. And how do you know Jesus? You look at the word of God. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the first four books of the New Testament. And they all reveal the life of Jesus Christ. They all reveal him. They, they show. And he even said, if you want to know God, you just look at me, and you can know God. You've seen him now that you have seen me. The Gospels are that important, which is why we've been spending the whole year in the harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we shift now to focus on John chapter 7, and then the next couple of weeks it'll be John 8 and John 9. And it's the harmony of the Gospels, it's understanding, the purpose of it is to understand the life of Jesus so we can understand who God is, the one true God. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me as I pray and have our eyes to be open to the truth. Father, may your Holy Spirit that is in this place, may it teach us the truth about you. May your word be opened up to our eyes. May we see and see that wonderful truth. And may we know you so we can make you known. I pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 1. It's the whole chapter, but not all the verses. But I'll guide you through it. And so in John 7, verse 1, you'll see it up on the screen here. Jesus went about in Galilee. He had a Galilean ministry. We're at the end of that Galilean ministry. It's It's closed. The the ministry of Jesus encompasses about three and a half years. And so we are now in the fall of A.D. 29, just like we're in the fall right now, all right, in 2021. Now next spring, Jesus will be crucified. Next spring, we'll be in the same place. We'll be talking about that last week and leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We'll finish in June. So it's taken a year and a half to go through the Harmony of the Gospels. Now, Jesus was finishing up his ministry in Galilee where he was very famous, but it says here he would not go about in Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So he had a lot of enemies as well as a lot of followers. And in verse 2, it says the Jews celebrated the Feast of the Booths, and that was what was going on. What is the Feast of the Booth? Also called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents. It's an eight-day celebration. Eight-day celebration that took place in Jerusalem after the fall harvest. It began on a Sabbath day, which is a Saturday, and ended on a Sabbath day, Saturday. It was established by God for the Jewish people to honor because he wanted them to remember how he provided for them, how he protected them, when they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Because when they were in the wilderness, they lived in tents, booths. They, they were nomads. They traveled all about and, and, and followed God wherever he led them. So here they are. What they have to do is all male Jews were required to go to Jerusalem, celebrate this, this feast of the, booth, uh, of the booths, the, the tabernacles, and they would live literally live in tents for a week. Now, a lot of you campers would love this feast, especially fall camping. I hear all the campers, they love, of course, it's glamping now, and you can't even call it camping. Oops, sorry about that. You you can't even call it that. I have friends that have $50,000 campers, you know, those granite countertops. That's not camping. That's glamping, as they say. But here you have to live in a tent. And uh, the campers would love it, except you might not love what they had to do, and that is they had to bring an animal sacrifice. Because, again, in Jewish law, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So believe it or not, the 24 divisions of priests that they had all reported for duty because there was that many animal sacrifices going on at the Feast of the Booths. So, it's a big deal. Verse 3, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here, go to Judea, so your disciples may see the works you're doing. So everyone can see what you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, this may be eye-opening to some, Contrary to what some churches teach, Mary, Jesus' mother, did not remain a virgin. Her husband, Joseph, they had children together. Jesus had biological brothers and sisters he grew up with. We see this in Mark 6, 3, where he says, the people said, Is this not Jesus the carpenter, the son of Mary, and his brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not all his sisters here with us? Jesus had brothers and sisters, interesting question, did they believe he was the Son of God? The answer is no, right here we see it, verse 5, they did not believe he was the Messiah, the Son of God, until when? After the resurrection. After the resurrection, they saw their brother and realized he wasn't really their brother, he was. Lord, their Lord and Savior. Who do we see in Acts as the leader of the church in Jerusalem? James, the brother of Jesus. The the book James in the New Testament was written by him. So why didn't they believe their brother was God? Well, they grew up with him. They played catch with him. They went fishing with him. They sang songs with him. For 30 years, Jesus was just Jesus to them. He wasn't Jesus Christ. Christ means the Messiah. He was Jesus, son of Joseph. He's our brother. Question for you, who's the most famous person you've ever met? Put you on the spot. Who's the most famous? That's good. Way to point to your wife. Alyssa Milano. All right, there you go. Famous person, Alyssa Milano. Guess who doesn't think Alyssa Milano is famous? Her parents. Her siblings, if she has any. They don't think Alyssa's famous. That's, that's Alyssa, my, my annoying sister. She's not famous. Just trying to give you a perspective of how they viewed their brother Jesus. Until 30 when he became and started his ministry. He was just Jesus to them. But even though they didn't think he was the Messiah at the time, they still recognized that he was very popular, he became very famous, and so they said to him, just do whatever it is you're going to do. We don't, we don't quite get it, but you're famous here in Galilee. Go to Jerusalem, go to Judea for this feast, and, and, and it's, it's time. Go on, go do it. Well... <laughs> Jesus' response was the antithesis of John Cena's theme song. If you know John Cena, the famous wrestler, he came out to one song. That song was, my time is now. (laughs) Jesus said, my time is not now. Verse 8, you go up to the feast. I'm not going to this feast. My time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But his brothers went up to the feast, and so he then went up, not publicly, He didn't travel with his caravan of disciples and followers publicly to Jerusalem. He went privately, it says. In verse 11, the Jews were looking for him at the feast. like That was their main focus at the feast. They're looking for Jesus. Where is he? And there was a lot of muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man, and others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Let's leave that on the screen right there. He's a good man. Others said he's leading the people astray. There was division amongst the people as to who Jesus was. There's a pastor in North Carolina named Stephen Furtick. Anyone ever heard of Stephen Furtick? Maybe a couple people. I'll see you raising your hand. Just uh, to give you an understanding of who he is and his church. His church is one of the top ten largest churches in America. Um, 26,000 weekly go to in-person service. Imagine serving communion there. (laughs) And 65,000 watch online. Now, you may not be familiar with uh, Elevation Church, but you're probably familiar with Elevation Worship Music. They have a band that's actually quite influential amongst Christian or contemporary Christian radio. Very influential. But so is their pastor. He's very um, charismatic in his his presentation, and I bring this up because he posted something this past week that um, was, uh, I guess, controversial. Uh, By the way, uh, the post received 18,000 likes, 2,500 shares on Facebook, and he has 6.3 million followers. He's just a little bit more influential than I am. The post was criticized, so Furtick took it down. He deleted the post. Apparently it taught something that was contrary to God's word. A seminary professor uh, called him a false prophet, warned others to stay away from his teaching. He's not the only famous preacher in our world today. And I bring that up to say, because some think he's wonderful, they follow him faithfully. Others think he's a false prophet, they say run away. Jesus experienced the same reaction. Jesus is in this place, in the, tavern, or in the, in the uh, temple, in Jerusalem, and some are saying, he's awesome, he's wonderful, he's the Messiah. And others are saying, he's a false teacher. Now, how do you tell if someone is genuine? Or if they're fake? Or if they're a false prophet? How do you know if... Stephen Furtick is a good influence or a bad influence. We don't have to come up with our own ideas of how to determine it. Jesus is going to tell us right here. In verse 14, we start, it says, the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he began teaching. So he kind of goes kind of secretively, privately, and then he just, out of nowhere, kind of steps into the spotlight and he starts teaching. The Jews were marveled. They marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning? He's never even studied. <laughs> Don't you hate that person? <laughs> that gets the 95 on the math test and they never studied? Jesus says, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And this is the verse I want you to look at, verse 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. You see, that's how you tell. That's how you know if someone's genuine, a godly person, teacher, pastor, if they seek God's glory or they seek their own glory. The one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and in him there is no falsehood. False teachers will seek their own glory. It may not be open and obvious, but they seek their own glory, their own comfort, their own agenda. Genuine teachers only care about glorifying God. So please, pretty please, with sugar on top, please, make sure your favorite Bible teachers, preachers, authors, Are glorifying God. That that's their agenda. That they don't care about their own. They want to teach you about the one true God. Not about their God, but the one true God. And their character better reflect what you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's who you want to follow. Jesus gets to the heart of why they criticized him. He says in verse 22, drop down to 22, he says, Moses, whom they revered and respected as a prophet, gave you circumcision. Not that it was actually from Moses, but it was from the fathers, Abraham. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. This is what you do in in Jewish custom. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And then he says in verse 23, if on a Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so the law of Moses may not be broken, How are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Referring back to when the man was in, um, by the pool of Bethesda, uh, 38 years, paralyzed, and he healed him on the Sabbath. Verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Circumcision is done on the eighth day for a boy, on the eighth day, after birth. The problem occurs when that eighth day is a Sabbath day. Because on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do any work. But a priest has to do work to do the circumcision. So they're in this conundrum, right? What do we do? Well, the priest would do the circumcision. Which basically is saying they're not honoring the Sabbath by doing the circumcision on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is saying, you do that, But yet, I've healed someone on the Sabbath day, and that's why you don't believe me. That's why you're criticizing me. You're hypocrites. Don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. Which brings us back to our own personal understanding of God. Is your God my God? Because they thought my God would never heal a person on the Sabbath. He would never do work on the Sabbath. Today, some people think to themselves, my God would never let someone die of cancer and leave behind children. My God would never take away a woman's choice to abort her baby. My God doesn't let bad things happen to good people. The list goes on and on and on and on. That's people's God. Our humanity causes us to judge by appearances, which is what Jesus says you shouldn't do. That's our humanity, our own thinking. But it's only by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that dwells in you can you judge the way you should judge, that you can discern what is right, only by the Word of God. How do you know God unless you know the Word of God? How do you know God unless you have the Holy Spirit in you teaching you? You can't. Which is why so many people have their own God. And that's who they worship. That's who God is. It's a good idea to always challenge what you believe about God. What do you believe about God? Continually ask yourself that. Why do I believe that about God? Because you just might discover that there's something you believe about God because you want to believe it, because you want it to be true. So I challenge you to believe what the Word of God says, what the Holy Spirit speaks through the Word to you. Verse 25, Some of the people of Jerusalem said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? Here he is, speaking openly. They say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know this is the, the Messiah, the Christ? But, but we know where he comes from. He's from the ghetto. He's from Nazareth. And the, when Christ appears, no one's going to know where he comes from. Verse 31. Bring, take it down to verse 31. Many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ appears, Will he do more signs than this man has done? They were divided. No one's going to know where the Messiah comes from. We know he comes from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But but look at all the signs he's done. Look at all the miracles he's done. They're very confused about God, about Jesus specifically. Many years ago, I was a teacher, as you know, in the high school, and I sat across from a fellow teacher. He was in his 40s, like myself, had two kids, liked to stay in shape, liked sports. We had a lot in common. And sometimes our conversation at lunch would turn to religion, mainly because I was trying to steer it that way, to share my faith. But in religion, we had very little in common. But I would share with him what it means to be a Christian. And one day he kind of asked, well, what does someone do to become a Christian? I said, it's nothing you do, it's what you believe, it's your faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and you believe he is God, the Son of God. Well, he didn't like that answer, and he was really honest about what he believed about God, his God. In fact, he said, summed it up with the song from You 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You might be familiar with that song. A lot of people who still haven't found what they're looking for, they're still sort of making their own God in their minds. Is your God my God? A lot of people want God to be like them. But God isn't made in your image. You were made in his. So we get it backwards sometimes. People get it backwards. There's only one true God, and he's not different for each person. When you honestly ask the question, is my God the right God, the one true God, it could bring you to somewhat of an internal crisis of faith. Really, an internal crisis of faith. Think about that. Like, what do I really believe about God? Because you may have formed your opinion from these past experiences that you've had, from your personal opinions, and then maybe just right now or maybe lately, there's no mistakes that you're here today hearing this message, maybe your eyes are being opened to a truth. That God is not who you thought he was. And maybe you're finally going to see who the one true God is. You must take action. If your eyes are open, you must take action. Around the same time that I was witnessing to that teacher, I was also sharing my faith with my student teacher. It was a nice. I didn't have too many student teachers. I was a public school math teacher for 16 years. But I didn't have too many student teachers. But one of them that I did have was a good fit, because she played college basketball like I did. Um, and she was kind of a, it was a rival school. She played at Lake Superior State. I played at Michigan Tech. So there's only three big schools in the UP, and she was a rival. And so we, we, we chided each other quite often. But I got a chance to, to just um, lead her as a, as a, learning to become a teacher. And, um, and then also really didn't talk too much about um, my faith yeah. A little bit I shared, I honestly don't think it was anything I said. I think it was more about how I lived my life, um, that when I finally invited her to come to Life Purpose, she accepted. She came. So after a couple months of uh, being in the classroom together, she then decided to come to uh, a service. And I, I don't think she grew up in church, so first time going to church. Many of you maybe have experienced this. Before you might remember the first time you kind of went to church or came back to church, you know, so it's kind of like, what do you expect? Like, what do, what do you, you know, it can be a little bit um, intimidating, perhaps. So somebody said, "I'm pretty intimidating because I'm so tall." Am I intimidating? Do I scare you? I hope not. She came to church and she sat by herself. Uh, she didn't know anybody, and but there, there was this really wonderful. Older gentleman who just loved to share his faith and lead people to Christ. He had a gift for that. His name was Jack. And uh, Jack sat with her. And uh, week after week, she would just come back, and she was just kind of listening uh, and, and taking it all in. And, and uh, sometimes we would talk about it in the classroom, but for the most part, um, you know, she didn't say too much. And one Sunday, I shared the gospel so I try to do as much as I can, and I invited anyone who wanted to come forward and surrender their life to Christ. They wanted to choose to, to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and at first, no one came. That's usual, normal. Uh, no one's leaping out of their chair, and it's, it's always funny what, what it takes to get someone out of their chair. I remember my, my former pastor said when he got saved, it was his mother who looked at him and said, boy, you better get up there right now and get saved. So he did. Allison just kind of sat there, and Jack looked over and said, notice, you know, did you want to go up there? I'll walk up there with you. And She said, yeah. So they walked up together, and she stood stood in front of me, and, and he walked away, and I prayed with her, and she accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior on that day. She surrendered her life to his. And uh, I got a chance to baptize her the next summer, the same day I baptized my daughter. And so uh, it was a, a cause for wonderful celebration, but um, she, she, she's still a follower of Christ, lives in Ohio. She's a teacher and a coach. But Allison came to that point that many do. She didn't let the past hold her back. Her eyes were open to the truth, and she walked into the arms of Jesus. She embraced the one True God. And that would always be my goal and, and hope for, for any that, that come to life of purpose that they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. The rest of John chapter 7 is best summed up with verse 43. In verse 43, there was a division among the people over Jesus. That division still exists today, doesn't it? Who is Jesus? I honestly believe that the older a person gets, the harder it is for them to become a Christian, and I think the reason for that is, is you just have a lot of religious baggage. Maybe you've been to a few different kinds of churches. Maybe you've heard different things, conflicting things, and you just you kind of just, just gets all garbled up, right? You just don't know what to believe anymore. And then, of course, on top of that, you've watched too many Hollywood movies about who God is, and too many television shows, and, and it's just very confusing about who is the one true God. But I tell you that anyone at any age can know the one true God. Jesus has revealed him. You just look at the life of Jesus, and you will see God. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free from any false gods that are out there. I'm going to finish it with Nicodemus. In this chapter at the end, we see Nicodemus again. Now, the first time we saw Nicodemus was in John chapter 3, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Nicodemus, if you don't know, was a very religious person. He was one of the leaders, in fact. He was a teacher, a Pharisee, well trained in Judaism. He knew the law, he knew the prophets, he knew the feasts. He was there. He was probably leading people at the Feast of the Booths. And, He had in his mind a very detailed understanding of his God. That's Nicodemus. He he knew who God was according to Judaism. Well, he thought he knew God. And then he met Jesus. And the belief that he had of God was challenged. If you ever saw or watched uh, The Chosen, which is a depiction the most recent depiction, you see Nicodemus in there, and he's very troubled in the, in the show of, who is this Jesus? Is he really the Messiah? He didn't, in Jesus, in John chapter 3, doesn't shoot a BB gun into his theology. He shoots a bazooka into his, bazooka. I mean, he blows it up. You must be born again. Nicodemus didn't know what to do. But now here we are, three years later, Three years later, and Nicodemus speaks up in front of all of his peers, in front of all of his students, and he says something that you may not think when you read it, it's very significant, but I assure you it is. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, who was one of the religious leaders, said, verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And then verse 52, they replied to him, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see, no prophet arises from Galilee. You see what Nicodemus did there? He stood up for Jesus. And by standing up for Jesus, he separated himself from those others. And you see, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to take a step to him. And don't worry about all the other stuff that you might be confused about. He wants you to seek him with all your heart. To set yourself apart, which is, really means to be holy. To be sanctified by the truth. Are you a follower of Jesus, the Son of God? If Nicodemus had Facebook back then, he would have posted, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He is the one True Son of God. And actually, I'd like you, if that's your declaration, if that's what you believe, I would challenge you to post that sometime today on your social media that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the one true Son of God. That's something that you can do. And if you've never, ever surrendered your will, if you've never, ever come forward like Allison did, To become a Christian, today is the day you can do that. Jesus Christ died for you. Where there is no blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus shed his blood. All those who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. As we play our final song this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. To stand here at the altar. You can fix your eyes on the cross. You can bow down. You can put your knees on these steps as an altar and you can ask God to forgive you you can ask God to save you you can ask God to give you